Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, an episode of Use Your Words Podcast. I, this is Paul. I hope you had a great Fourth of July holiday with your family and friends and uh, doing whatever you did to relax and celebrate the fourth. Obviously, if you're in America, if you're outside America, I hope your Monday was productive as normal for you. That being said, this week, I'm actually uploading a preview of another uh, system series that I'm working on. And I'm uploading that here just because, well, figured, hey, why not kind of give a preview of the other podcast that's being worked on in here. So thank you for listening to episode zero of Hey Church. We need to talk about mental health. And greetings, everyone. My name is Paul DeArmit, and thank you for joining us on this episode. Well, not us, me, on episode zero of Hey Church. Now, as you noticed when you went to the intro, there was no uh, standard intro music per se. Uh, that is still in the process and in the works. But I figured, why wait for that? And why let that be the bottleneck before starting things? Sometimes you just have to start off, do the thing, get going, and let the rest follow suit with it. And that's what we're doing here. So this is a new podcast series for me. This is one that I will be doing solo. I will not be bringing Aaron on this journey necessarily. Now, that being said, him or Josh may appear here or there randomly on an episode, but they're not going to be consistent. They're, this is something that's completely separate of the main use your words uh, timeline, you could say. It's, it's kind of its own entity, its own thing, its own processes, its own thing. Um, now, this will not be an, a weekly thing like use your words. Uh, the reason for that is, one, I don't have the capacity and the time to do two podcasts weekly at the same time. So this will be a, a every other week sort of deal. This will be, for the most part, most months will be twice a month. We'll have those strange months where it's going to be three times a month and we'll have to do something special to celebrate on those weird months. But other than that, it's going to be a every other month. It'll probably be on a Thursday or Friday, actually, of a release. Don't want them both releasing on the same day, but they will both, they'll come out and, you know, randomly that we're going to have, well, not randomly, every other week, we're going to have weeks where we're going to have two episodes a week. So that being said, this is episode zero of Hey Church. We need to talk about mental health. Now, as of this time, the website is not up yet. That is still, again, all in the process. But again, if you wait for everything to be perfectly aligned before you start doing something, you will never get anything done. And that is something that I have learned through multiple instances of life, uh, both at work, out of work, uh, doing hobbies and not hobbies and all that stuff. So I was like, you know what, why wait to record and for this stuff to be done and just go ahead and start. So that's that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing here. So why, hey, church, we need to talk. Why, why are we talking about mental health and specifically why a podcast about mental health specific? Well, there's a couple reasons why. I mean, there's some ones that are very personal to me um, for the main fact that, oh, I don't know. Let's see here. I have issues with mental health. I have issues with depression that I deal with. And, you know, and I am one of those Americans that, you know, needs to take medication uh, to deal with it. And for me, it's more of a chemical imbalance, not a, I'm not taking care of things imbalance. But don't get me wrong, there are times when that is true too. But the reason I think it's very particular to talk about it in the context of the Christian church, because don't get me wrong, there's a lot of podcasts out there about mental health, like how to, you know, meditate, how to, be in the here and now in the present, how to see counseling, why mental health is important, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those topics will be 
touched on and talked about here as well. Some of them won't, some of them will. It depends on the week and what's going on and everything like that. The reason I wanted to talk about it inside the Christian context is that there is this stereotype among some people, and thankfully that stereotype is going down, where it's just pray it away. Uh, I've, I've heard the just prayed away for so many things in the Christian world. It has been amazing. We heard a long time ago, you know, pray the gay away. That's a thing that's gone around for a long time. And people who are dealing with that are like, yeah, it doesn't just work like that. There's things that has to happen. And I can tell you what, I have sympathy for those people because they're hearing the same thing that now the people who are dealing with mental health have been hearing for the past few years as well of just pray the mental health away. And in both cases, that's not something you can just go, dear Jesus, please take this away from me. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't do that. I'm not saying that God does not honor and answer that prayer sometimes and just says, okay, you're cured of that. You know, miracles do happen. We have miracles recorded in the Bible and that, and that is a possibility. But for the most part, for the majority of the people, that is not going to be the case. For the majority of these people who are Christian and Bible-believing, and want to follow God and are having a mental health issue, they're going to need some other form of help. Now, that being said, some good things about the church in the past recent years. A lot of churches are becoming uh, real, are realizing that this is becoming an issue and that this isn't just a spiritual issue, that it is a physical issue as well, a psychological issue. It is something that doctors are needed for. And it's something that a lot of pastors are now saying, okay, in combination with maybe some, you know, spiritual guidance and that this is a great thing. That being said, 49% of pastors, uh, and this survey was done primarily with Protestant type pastors, so not your Catholic pastors, but like your Baptist and that. Uh, But 49% of pastors never or rarely speak on the subject of mental health in their church. They never dedicate any time from the pulpit uh, to talk about mental health. And it's not like I'm saying where they're dedicating like a whole sermon. I'm talking about where they even say, hey, let's take, you know, five, 10 minutes before the message to talk about, hey, here's some of the resources or here's some of the things available for those of you dealing with mental health issues, or maybe here's some things on how to deal with mental health. And because of that, this same survey also found that 75% of family members suffering with the Acute mental illness. Said said the churches have been supportive, but they wanted to see additional resources. They didn't know where to go to get assistance. One of the studies by one of the larger mental health organizations in the United States found that a majority of people didn't know where to go to get help. And this is not even just church-related people. This is just normal everyday people. So normal everyday people and people inside the church are going, we don't know where to go to get a assistance. Where do I go to get my kid help? Where do I go to get my mom help? No one knows. And that's a problem because we need to start realizing that mental health is a fundamental part of health for us. Yes, you can talk about, you know, hey, you need to lose some weight. Maybe you need to bulk up or get a little more muscle. You need to lower that cholesterol, uh, lower the blood pressure, lower the blood the blood sugars. Yes. But we also need to include in there, you need to take care of yourself mentally. And that means that if you know that certain things, let's say there's a, get you're socially anxious, that you know what those triggers are and you know what you can do to help yourself go through that properly without causing yourself any undue stress or undue problems. For example, I was recently at a wedding for Actually, for Josh, uh, it was their wedding. They they were married, but they won the actual ceremony now that most of the COVID lockdowns and restrictions are, are gone. And me, I know when I'm in a large group of people, I 
get nervous and I can handle it for a little bit of time before things start going south for me. And so for the ceremony, I was great. I was fine. I had a little bit of time to decompress between the two because the ceremony and the reception were at two different locations. And then when I got to the reception, what I did was I found something to ground me during that time. In this case, uh, they happened to have a beach theme. So they happened to have a bunch of little rocks all around, uh, these little pebbles type. And I just took two of them and I kept moving them between my fingers, either rubbing them together or moving them individually between my two fingers, just so it kept my mind not entirely focused on the social anxiety and all the people around me. And I was able to actually somewhat enjoy the process. So you need, so it's sometimes it's things like that. It's like, where do I go to get help? Where do I go to learn these techniques? And people don't know this. And this is actually a big thing because in America, we actually have, well, a decent amount of people that are suffering with mental illness. Surprisingly, I don't know. Some of you might go, well, I, I kind of expected that. So just to put some numbers out there, because it's, I can say percentage and you're like, yeah, percentage that, how does that help me? I, I don't know what the, the quantity, the scale of that is. So let's put some numbers. As of June 2021, the United States had a population of 332,444,430. So that, that, that's our baseline number here. Now, the reason I say a baseline number is because the report, and here's the crazy part, the report that I was reading, which came from uh, a combination of uh, CDC and National Institute of health and that. They have data from 2019, 2020, but don't really have times on when these reports started and stopped collecting data. So that's why I was like, let's get a baseline number of the population as of June 2021 and use those same percentiles. Now, obviously, that means some of these numbers are going to be just a slightly bit larger than reality as of June 2021. But at the same time, these studies were not taken into account the impact that COVID has had on mental health. And there have been multiple stories of mental health, of mental health problems increasing during the times of COVID. So, so with a population of 332,444,430, let's look at those numbers, those statistics. 20% of all Americans age 18 or older had some form of mental illness in the previous 12 months. That was a, a finding released in report. Again, it was released at the end of 2019, mid 2020, somewhere around there. This equates to a population of 66,488,866. That's a decent amount of people that have some sort of mental illness. Now, when they say some sort of mental illness, this can range anywhere from depression to schizophrenia to bipolar to obsessive compulsive disorder. So mental health, like a lot of things, has a wide spectrum, a wide variety of afflictions. So when someone says, oh, I have a mental health issue, you can't automatically assume that it's the worst thing, schizophrenia. It may be um, some OCD. It may be some depression. It may be some something else. And this also brings up another fact. A lot of people just go, oh, my OCD is off the wall today, blah, blah, blah. They may just be saying that as a way to express how they feel with some of these things. They may not be actually experiencing OCD, but that doesn't mean we should belittle them anyways. Now, that being said, there are some people who get quote unquote triggered when someone is saying that they have a mental health illness when they don't. We'll cover that at another session. We're not going to cover that here. Again, this is session zero. I just want to go over some of the statistics on some of these things here. Now, so we know how many people have some form of mental illness in the United States. Knowing that 3% or just over 10 million in the United States have more than one 
mental illness, affliction, or they have an addiction. And that's a very interesting point on which they did in the study. For whatever reason, they combined a more than one mental illness, affliction, or addiction. And when they say addiction, they're not saying that the person's addicted to some sort of mental health thing. They're saying the person is addicted to something like uh, drugs or alcohol or s- something like that. And, and the reason is, is that there are times, and I know from my own personal experience, when I was dealing with my depression, where I would tend to abuse alcohol a little bit more. And that was a very um, noticeable thing for people around me that I was drinking more than normal. So that's why they kind of tie them together. It's not saying that necessarily one is the cause of the other or that they are always going to be together, but it is saying that that sometimes does happen. That sometimes that some people with certain mental health issues, so, such as depression, may turn to substances, alcohol or drugs, to help them cope because they don't know how to cope any other way. So again, 3% or just over 10 million people in the United States have more than one mental illness, affliction, or addiction. Now, we know how many people have at least one form of mental illness, okay? Again, that was 20%. Of that 20%, 44.8% of adults aged 18 or older received mental health services in that same previous 12-month period from um, before the report was published. In other words, 29,787,012 people who had a mental health issue sought out and received treatment. Now, we know how many people in total there are in the, the United States. Again, that total population number is 332,444,430. Of that group, 5.2% of Americans aged 18 or older had a serious mental illness in the previous 12 months prior to this report's release. Now, this report designates anything as a serious mental illness as something that impacts the person's daily life. So, for example, um, if you have a real bad form of depression where you can't get out of bed, where you're just sleeping, maybe crying all day or just sleeping all day, laying in bed, doing nothing, it's inhibiting your activities of daily lives, your ADL, then that is considered a serious mental illness. If you have you know, someone else who's maybe has some schizophrenia, which maybe prevents them from being able to interact with society normally. That is a serious mental illness. So again, notice we have 20% of Americans have at least one mental illness. 5.2% of Americans have some form of serious mental illness. Now that 5.2% is included in that 20%. So don't think there are two different groups. They're they're kind of, uh, the 5.2 is a subset of the 20%. Okay. But here's where I think think this gets this shows kind of where we have some problems here in the US. Of that 17 million who had some sort of serious mental illness, only 65.5% of those people received some sort of treatment for their mental illness. In other words, 11,322,057 people. That means there were 5,964,053 people with a serious debilitating mental illness which impacted their activities of daily life that did not receive any sort of mental health treatment. Now, the report did say that some of the contributing factors to this were that people were having to decide between do they pay for their electricity or do they pay the bill to be able to go and uh, get mental health issue, care, their mental health taken care of. There are also people who reported that they couldn't find anyone within an hour of where they were at to be able to help them out. There are also others reporting that they were that they had to wait longer than a week to get assistance for their mental health issue. Again, all these things contributed to why people 
didn't get help. And then some people just said they didn't want to or they were scared. Or maybe, and, and this is where I'm interjecting and adding in from some of my own experience with some of this uh, with my own family. Maybe they have a family that just says, just pray it away. Just pray away the depression because that's all you need. And that's where we as a church need to do better with that. Like I said th- at the beginning, Thankfully, a lot of churches are moving away from that. And that is a great thing. And that is great to hear. And we need to continue moving in that direction where we recognize that mental health is not an issue spiritually necessarily. Could it be? Yes. I am not discounting that. I'm not discounting the fact that it could be a spiritual issue which needs to be dealt with. But the only way that you will find that out is is if you start seeking assistance and help. And by starting to get that assistance and help, and involving your uh, pastoral staff, you know, I don't know if depending on your church, you might only have like one pastor, but if you have a pastor that does like, you know, counseling and that, if, if you start involving them as well in that treatment process and plan, they might be able to help you recognize, is this just a, a chemical imbalance or is this, hey, maybe there's some spiritual things that need to be taken care of as well. And I never want to push for the fact that it can, that it's always going to be either or. It could always be a combination of, and I never want to push for a fact of always start on one side or the, or the other and ignore the other until all options on on one the past have been taken. When dealing with mental health, it is important to to tackle it from all multiple angles at once. Because let's be frank and honest here, those who are dealing with mental health, like when I was dealing with depression, there was no I there was no way I could see the forest. I was concentrating solely on the tree in front of me. And the tree in front of me that I was focusing on was my depression. How I was feeling at that moment, what was going through my mind, how I thought people hated me. And I missed the rest of what was going on. I missed the forest. I missed how everything else interacted. I missed how all these various thoughts and ideas interplayed with one another. And all I could think about was what I was going through mentally. I couldn't piece together everything. So that's what I say. Sometimes it, 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 you can't just tackle it from one angle or the other. You have to t- kind of attack it from all sides. And you need others who are willing to tackle this with you and willing to help you as you tackle and willing to help you as you learn. Now, something that I found very interesting while going through this report, and, and, and I find it very interesting because of my heritage in my back. What they did was they looked at the rates of people getting help for their mental illness. Again, any type of mental illness from you know depression to schizophrenia, to anything in between and maybe even something crazier. They found that those who identify as white, about 70% of those people get assistance for their mental health. However, the lowest incidence of getting assistance for their mental health issues was found in the Hispanic Latino community. Now, I'm not saying Latino as in Latino, Latina. um, There's a separation there. I'm saying Latino as in the entire Latino community. Um, I'm not a Latinx person. Going on that, but I can see where that is, especially because, like I said, my family, all my mom, my all my aunts, that being straight from Mexico, that is something that they definitely would not seek assistance from. In fact, one of my aunts one year at a Christmas party, they were talk, they were, they were watching TV, and there was a commercial on for an antidepressant. I, I don't know which one, and my aunt just looked around the room and she goes, "Now, why would anyone take a pill just to make them happy? Why can't they deal with their problems themselves?" It made me realize a few things. One, she didn't realize how antidepressants work. Uh, that, so that was a big red flag for me on not engaging in that topic of conversation with her at that time, uh, especially at a Christmas party where there was five million other people. It seemed like, and that's just all on my mom's side. But it also showed me that stigma of, "Oh." 
you're um, you're depressed. You must be broken and weird in some way that, that you have to take a pill to make yourself feel better. So I can definitely see that, especially coming from that uh, Latino side of of my own family. So it doesn't surprise me, but it's still it's that kind of that sticking ouch figure for me. Some other interesting facts from that article. And I found this completely interesting and it's completely random. And I have I want to read why this is the case. So if anyone out there knows what the reason for this is, please let me know. The highest rate of mental illness in the United States of America is found in Utah, but the lowest is in New Jersey. This includes every form of mental illness, including thoughts of suicide. So whatever's going on over in New Jersey, apparently you guys are happier than happy and not mentally ill at all, which is good. I, I'm, I'm glad for that. And that also tells me if I'm ever in a mental funk again, I need to go to New Jersey. But here's some other interesting stats from this, um, from the CDC. For individuals 15 to 24 years of age, suicide ranks as the leading cause of death. Now, here's a stat that on the surface seems to contradict itself in, in some way. But when you sit on it and think about it for a second, you're like, oh, wow, that, that's actually kind of powerful and tells you how destructive, how, how, how destructive these suicide attempts that men have are. So here, here's the stat. Men attempt suicide less often than women. They don't have a percentage. They just say just flat out men attempted less often than women. However, and I hate the word, the fact that they put successful on this, but successful suicide rate. In other words, suicides that attempts that end in a death. Suicide rates are four times higher for men than women. So let that sink in. On the surface, men attempt suicide less often than women. But the way in which a man does it, um, whether that be like my cousin with a shotgun or pills or, you know, ramming their car into a wall, something like that, their quote unquote success is four times higher. Men, we got to have a conversation about this. Yes, women, women uh, attempt it more often. Uh, and, and I hate to put this label on it. And, and, and I put this label on it only for categorization. And, and I, I'll say this, it doesn't matter even if it gets this label, it still should be taken seriously. It's the person who does this should still be talked to, made sure that they're okay, and if necessary, get them assistance. So I'll, I'll put that out there first. But I hate putting this label out there. And that label is that a lot of these times there are people who maybe want attention. And so they attempt something and it's kind of more of a calculated risk than anything. It does happen, but that still does not mean it should be ignored. That still does not mean that it should be looked into and investigated. That still does not mean that that person may not need help. Sometimes those cries for attention are those people who don't know how to ask for help. And the only way that they think they can get the help is if they do something so drastic that someone else will take action to make sure that they are okay. But men, we need to talk about this. And I think that's also one of the reasons why the church needs to talk about this as well. You have people who grow up, and I, and I can think of a few people off the top of my head that, I, that I've talked to, who grow up not hearing anything about mental health at all. And then they wonder why people who suffer from mental health do what they do. I, I go back to a conversation that I had with Josh, formerly of Use Your Words, where he said he used to think it was just a suck it up buttercup type thing. There are a lot of guys who are like that. Now, I'm not saying you have to sit around in a drum circle, beating on drums and braiding each other's hair, telling your emotions to each other, and then having a cry fest over it. Because th that's what some people think. They're like, oh, you're telling me I have to do all that. No, I'm not saying that. Just like the same way that Women do not do that. That stereotype is way overdone. But guys, we do need to talk about it sometimes. We do need to hold not each other accountable, but we need to be able to create that friendship. We need to be able to create that space where we're not 
and I hate this word, toxic. I, and the reason I hate it is because it's just so overused. The way I use toxic in this regard is the fact that we're you're trying to be that stereotypical manly man where you have to be, you know, I never talk about my emotions. I'm going to be stoic and cold-faced and just sit here, sit here and stare at the wall because I'm a man and that's what I do. No, being a man doesn't mean that. Being a man is a lot more complicated than that. It's like being a strong woman, a strong female is a lot more complicated than what it sounds like on the surface. And I'll leave that for someone who is a female to define what it means to be a strong female, strong men, your friends care, whether they say it or not. There has been a trend recently, thankfully, where guys are getting a little less, uh, I need to be so stoic and never talk about anything wrong or anything that's going on with me. But we also have to realize, guys, in a lot of ways, we're killing ourselves with these things by keeping these things bottled up. Guys, men, your friends are probably hurting. 20%, one in five Americans suffer with some form of mental illness. If you know, including yourself in the group, so if you know four other men, more than likely, statistically, one of them is dealing with something or they have said something or not. Now, on to the other stat. Now, let's take a look at depression. Now, depression is a wide range of levels. It could be anything from uh, seasonal affective disorder all the way up to major depressive order with suicidal ideation. So it's a, it's a wide spectrum. It's very uh, varied in its uh, potency. But about 9.5% of the population annually, so let's round that up to about 10%, are impacted by depression every year. So for America, that would be about 33 million people annually are impacted by depression of some sort. Now, Women are two times more likely than men to suffer major depressive disorder. Now, the initial onset of major depression typically occurs in the mid-20s for the average person. Now, that is not to mean that that can't happen sooner or later in life. I will say for me personally, my depression price, no, it didn't probably, it started uh, in my teens, more minor, but got major in my 20s and came to a crashing crash in the wall in my mid 30s. So it does happen that way sometimes where maybe it starts off lower, gets stronger before it can get better, or maybe it just comes on. Now, what causes depression can be from a wide range of psychological or emotional triggers. It can be anything from breaking up with a significant other to losing a family member to losing a job to getting a bad diagnosis from uh, the medical doctor. It could be a wide range. So there's not like one single thing like, uh oh, you know, Jerry just lost his job. He's going to go major depressive. Some people do. Some people don't. It's going to be a different trigger. Now, however, if something happens like, hey, you know that your friend just lost like their parent, whatever, reach out to them to see how they're doing. Don't wait for their life to fall apart before you take action to see how they're doing. If they're your friend, reach out. Even if they don't say anything, even if they don't give you the time of day for a little bit, reach out. Because I guarantee you that little bit of reaching out will do more, more good than anything else will do. It lets them know that someone cares. It lets them know that someone is around that wants to make sure that they are still around. And that is important. Now, you know that stat earlier where I said 20% of Americans are diagnosed with some sort of mental illness? That, that roughly translates to 20%. Uh, 26% of adults in the U.S. that are personally impacted, in other words, either they or someone they are personally connected are um, have a diagnosable mental disorder of some sort. So one of the things that I did was I looked at the study and I also looked to see what 
if they reported any trends or anything like that. And one of the trends that they did report on, um, they reported a table of positive trends and negative trends. The negative trend that stuck out the most to me was this. People that needed but did not get therapy. This age group was age 18 to 29, and this raised from 15.6% to 20.3%, or an increase of 30%. All the other negatives on the table were, you know, people 80 plus needing to increase their medication. So the the rest of the negatives weren't that bad. I think the the age 18 to 29 increase in the number of people who need but are not getting assistance for their mental health is kind of alarming, to be honest. Now, that being said, on the positive table, all the positive trends were only for those people ages 70 plus. So I don't know how to read into that. I guess the best thing in there was that there was a decrease in people ages 70 to 79 of those who needed to take medication for their depression. And at the ages 70 to 79, there was a decrease in the number of people receiving therapy or counseling or taking medication and therapy or counseling. So those were the positive trends for the past 12 months, I guess. But some of the other things that they noted as well in the trend, that for both males and females, there have been an increase in mental health issues across the board, across all ages, across all denominations, ethnicities, and locations in the U.S. So that's why this podcast exists. Mental health is not just this thing that exists inside the church or outside the church. It's not something that exists for the Protestant only or for the Catholic only or for the non-believer only. It is something that's happening to all of us here in America. It is something that is crazy important. Now, I, I say it's crazy important, and I realize that only 40 per, uh, 47% of Americans say they belong to a house of worship. So I'm talking to less than less than half of the population of the United States. But that's okay, because here's the thing. As followers of Christ, we're the ones who are supposed to be out there shining our light for others. We're supposed to be setting the example, the, the light on top of the hill. But if we have people in our own churches, in our own pews, in our own religion and our our brothers and our sisters who are saying we need help and we're not getting that help we need, then we as the church body need to be better about it. We're getting better, praise God, but we need to do better. We need to make it shown for all people, men, women, children, that it is okay to be broken. It is okay to have a mental health issue. That doesn't make you a sinner. That doesn't make you unforgivable. That doesn't make you unsavable. That doesn't make you evil. It doesn't make you rebellious against God. It's okay to be broken mentally because that does not mean we are broken spiritually. It's okay to be broken mentally. It's okay to be a broken person because as we know from the gospel, we are sinners. We are broken sinfully. So why, why would it be any different and why would it be inexcusable to be broken mentally if we can recognize that we are broken spiritually?